You're listening to Football Friday Night On Demand exclusively on 600 ESPN El Paso. Stay up to date with high school football scores, updates, and news by downloading the free 600 ESPN El Paso mobile app. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Football Friday Night Podcast On Demand. Adrian brought us here along with my co-host Alex Nicholas. Uh, a busy, busy week eight to recap for us. We also have mid-season awards today on the podcast, which I'm thrilled about. Talked to Alex off air uh, earlier today, and, and we're going to get those underway. Also want to touch, uh, touch a little bit about the Greater El Paso Football Showcase. That's going to be happening December 18th out at the SAC. Uh, kicking off at high noon. We'll get into that later on the show as well. And also a little bit about recruiting and local uh, prospects that have gotten some attention here in El Paso. We'll talk about that. We'll preview week nine and uh, so much more. But uh, as we get started today, Alex, want to touch on last week. Um, Obviously, the big one was Burgess coming back and defeating Andrus. Uh, Andrus looking a little bit more depleted right now. Andrus fighting back in that game. Burgess end, ending up taking a big lead. And then uh, Andrus coming back. Looked like they were going to possibly tie this game. Uh, Mustangs hold on. And I, I have no clue. Now we're in complete disarray in 5A. Yeah, I really, really threw a big wrench into that into that one five or the two five A D two race, which we we talked about how you know seeds two you know three through three and four were going to be very tough to to lock down. Well, now you don't know where you're going to be seated as far as one through four. So um, you know that game with Burgess, a, a tremendous effort. I think you know for, we were kind of questioning what Burgess team would show up. I think a lot of us were were definitely questioning that coming in. Um, but you know, shout out you know to the big dog Tavares Jones. I mean, he handled his business there. Um, you know, over 200 yards rushing. And, and you know, one of the unsung heroes um, that I think can be attributed to this district shakeup, uh, Ray Campos, with that big, big, big kickoff return to start that second half. I felt – I went – watched the game that night um, on film, watched that whole entire Andrews Burgess game. And to me, that was the big difference in the game. And that was the play when we come back in the next couple of weeks, Adrian, and we're looking at all these teams with just one losses and we start seeing – the teams that stick with the one loss through the end of the uh, end of the, uh, the the seat, the regular season, and we're talking about seeding, that kickoff return is going to be etched in my mind because that was such a huge play for Burgess. And you know, even though you know later in the game, of course, Tavares Jones that big fifty-yard touchdown, and then the thirty-yard rush to, to kind of close it out. And like you mentioned, Anderson's defense, Malcolm Anderson just balled out last week, man, with that pick six, and they got a couple of other stops as well. But that play is going to really, really stand out to me in terms of how crazy this district and this district race is going to get over the next couple of weeks. It just hit me, man. We haven't spoken to each other in two weeks. Took a break last week on the podcast. Uh, I'm thrilled to be back with you, man. And you know what? I, I mean, the two other games that I just wanted to touch on real quick, you, you actually got a chance to uh, get a chance to look at these a little bit um, deeper. Eastlake top in Eastwood last week. Also, America's beating Motwood. Key games in 6A. Yeah, you know, Eastlake really starting to find their forte on both sides of the ball. And even though they allowed 41 points to Eastwood, you know, you got to give credit to Andrew Martinez. I mean, that kid's a baller. It's like third or fourth time I've seen him this season. And he just continually gets better, even though he's a senior. But, um, you know, Eli Uribe, you know, if it wasn't for Cameron Bird, I would think we'll get into that here in a little bit. But I think, you know, if it wasn't for Cameron Bird, Eli Uribe is, you know, the city MVP at this point. And, you know, him and that defense, you know, his brother on the other side, Isay Uribe, uh, EC Uribe, 
um, you know, Alf- Alfonso Mancera, their defensive back. Um, you know, they are just, you know, Jaime Guerrero, and I could go on and on about their defense. You know, this is a team that's really starting to find their stride offensively and defensively. Uh, we were wondering what they were going to do at quarterback. You know, enter um, Sebastian Rendon once again, and he had a very, very efficient night. I think it was like 14 of 18, I think, that I had him unofficially. So that was a statement game to me for Eastwood. Uh, East Lake, or excuse me, for East Lake. Eastwood coming into that game had some big wins like we mentioned after that 0-2 loss we talked about um you know their triumphant web leaving against Montwood um you know and that was a game that we felt maybe could turn things around but that's how good Eastlake really is man and and that's gonna show you know they have the we talked about it the last time we talked about their sort of the quote-unquote easiest road to the to the playoffs or towards the end of the regular season you know they play Montwood which you can kind of say is maybe their toughest opponent in their last three um and I think they really really found a groove with that one um you know talking about that talking about the other game that that we were able to see uh you know that America's team I mean how about the job Patrick Melton has done you know with the start that they have you know you're talking about a, a team that's that really got off to a rough start but you know, when we talk about a rough start, we've also mentioned a few times that they had to replace 42 Letterman. So you're talking about a bunch of sophomores and juniors on this team that have really gelled, um, you know, and you're finding that they're, they're finding that consistency. And it always starts with me with defense with America's. And I think when I saw them against Eastlake and they held Eastlake to just 23 points, it really gave Eastlake a scare there for a little while, just by the way they were the way that they were just playing that physical man defense, that to me showed that there was something special there that could possibly happen with America's. And well, you know, we're starting to see it, you know, and obviously, you know, they, the craziest thing about it is they did that without Caesar Drennan last week. And I think that's something that has to be talked about is this young team continues to grow and hats off to Patrick Melton. You know, he, he's been there a long time. He's one of the, the longest tenured coaches in the city that no one really talks about and doesn't get that much credit. But for this, uh, I guess, I mean, I don't really want to call it a turnaround because like I mentioned, they have a lot of young players on that team, but the overall record turnaround of where they get drubbed really the first two games, they get outscored 80 something to 14 against Midland Christian and Brian Roeder. Um, and then, you know, give Del Valle a, a, a scare, you know, fall a couple scores there. And then now all of a sudden you're on a roll. So, you know, you're talking about crawling before you're walking, you know, this is what this program is doing. And I honestly, I think over the next two years, if this group uh, keeps gelling together, you know, this America's team is going to be back on top of district once they say the next two to three years. Shifting it over to some mid-season awards. This is going to be a lot of fun, man, because uh, I, I think uh, you and I have some good, good uh, – we've, we've kind of seen our, our decent batch of teams right now. I feel like we have a good grasp on what's going on here in the local high school football scene. We know who's kind of legit out there. We know who's been in the spotlight. Let's just get right to it. Let, let's not waste any time. Let's start off with Newcomer of the Year. Now, this is an d- interesting one because um, there are a lot of really talented sophomores this year, Alex which I've been impressed by. Uh, Give me some candidates. Before you give me your actual pick, give me some candidates that you would think of, uh, like almost like honorable mentions for this award. You know, for sure, Malcolm Anderson, that's one that, that, that jumps to mind, too. Um, you know, he's one that, that really jumps to mind. Bo Sparks is another one for Franklin. That's a newcomer that's really, nice really name. come onto the scene. Jerry Chidas, the quarterback from El Paso High, that's another one that's, that's really jumped at me as well. Um, trying to think, through, you know, go through my head of players that, that I've seen all year long that are new. Because there's, there's always those... You know, the, one, the, the experienced players always come to mind first, but just off the top of my head, those would be the, the top three players that I've seen this year that have really, really made an impact on your team. 
All right, who's your choice? I go both Sparks. I think, you know, the way that he's the way that he's improved his route running and his playmaking ability. And oh yeah, he also plays defense, has a couple of interceptions on the year too. That to me, his whole package of offense, defense, and what he means to that Franklin offense as a whole, that's where I would go both sparks for sure. Could you could you uh include Gael Ochoa in this discussion, or would you take his experience last year and pretty much say, ah, he's not really a newcomer, even though you know he's taken the reins at quarterback, played last Last year, you know, last year doesn't count to me, honestly. I mean, I, I think because of the COVID year, it was so unorthodox. So, yeah, I think that is a really good name because, um, you know, I, I go back to that Eastwood win where, you know, he throws a pick on the previous possession, runs down the, the interceptor avoiding a pick six and then leaves a game-winning touchdown drive on the next uh, – and his ensuing possession, you know, that is huge for me to see that type of growth. So, yeah, you know, like I said, last year was sort of – I look at it as a scrimmage year. Yeah, it counted in the record books. You get your stats, you know, teams made the playoffs. But, you know, as far as, like, a full body of work, it, it doesn't count. But now we're seeing a full body of work of Guy Alachoa. And really, uh, you know, you can look at a lot of – you know, a lot of those young guys, too. Uh, I think another one that stands out on his team is Jalen Boss. I don't know if I got his Love first name, name right. Yep. That's another kid. It might kid. be Jaleel. Might Jaleel, be Jaleel Boss. There you go. It is Jaleel Boss. Jaleel Boss. That kid is another one that, you know, you were talking like, like I just mentioned about America as a group of sophomores and juniors. That's another team to look out for the next couple of years. And, of course, you know, number four is going to lead them. It's, it's going to be the leader of that group over the next couple of years. So, yeah, I would consider him a legitimate candidate for that. So Gael Ochoa played two games and attempted only 14 passes in each of them uh, in his freshman year. So I, I might still throw him as my newcomer simply because he didn't really see anything last year. Another one you could throw out there is uh, Isaiah Claudio is probably a, yes. an honorable mention. Really like what he's done running back for Montwood. Heard he's a little banged up. But it's sad to hear about that. I hope he gets back up to speed uh, here soon enough. But yeah, he's a, he's another name that you, you might throw out there as far as newcomer. There's some really good young names that's what excites me about this high school football season is we're gonna get some good talent for years to come yeah and that's a good name to throw that was almost on the tip of my tongue because he's really over the past couple of weeks he's really really improved seeing him live last week um you know the way that he's a he's just a shifty runner and yeah like you mentioned he's gonna be done for a few weeks hopefully they get him back i think by playoffs is what i heard just a rumor don't hold me on that but yeah that's that's another solid name there i think we could see come up the ranks here all right, let's talk defense now. Um, when you're talking some of your candidates for this, give me some of the, the picks that you have around here. You're talking about newcomers with this one? Uh, let's talk, or let's overall, talk uh, defensive. overall defense, yeah. Right now, I think the, the one that, that really stands out to me overall, and I think, you know, you look at his numbers, you look at his defense as a whole, as his defense as whole, uh, has came together. And, I mean, that's Hector Hinojos out of, out of uh, Eastlake. You know, and I yeah. talked about him. We talked about him as, uh, you know, as a recruit, you know, a couple of weeks ago. That's the first time we mentioned him. But, I mean, he's really a first-year starter as well, and he's making – Really, really big ends meet over there at Eastlake. And then another one I'm going to throw at you for another good team, Chuy Carrillo over there at, at, uh, at Canotillo. He's Gosh. another one of those kids that just really gets out. I mean, you look at his film. He's around – I mean, his, his huddles are two to three minutes long because he's pretty much on – he's around the ball in every defensive snap. So because of the experience of Chuy Carrillo, I would give him the little slight edge. But, I mean, Hector Hinojos has been just as good – 
for this East Lake Falcons defense. And I mean, this guy's he's a junior, like I said, he's going to continue getting better. And that, that to me is, a, you know, as a whole, as his defense is doing the way that they're not allowing any points. Um, that to me is a big key. And that's why I like it. He knows there, but Chewy Carillo right now, because the game that I saw uh, against it was the Del, uh, Valle game and went to overtime. That kid was doing work, man. This guy has three picks this year. I'm talking about Carillo. He has three picks this year. He has 43 total tackles, five and a half tackles a game. Alex, he's a freshman. We've got our newcomer of the year defensively right here in Carillo. I love it. I love him. And, and I, I was kind of like you because I, I looked at Hector Hinojos and I, I said, all right, I'm going to try to find a player who can prove me wrong that this guy isn't the best defensive player in this city. And I couldn't find the, the defensive player. I mean, uh, Carillo is somebody who in three years is going to be that guy. And uh, if he's on this track, I can't wait to see where he's at when it's all said and done. Um, I just I think there's a lot of really good players. You could look at uh, Andy Payan for Irvin. I, I've liked him at, at some points. Rudy Valenzuela from Riverside. Yeah, is pretty yeah, good. that's a good name. Of course. And you can even look at Isaac Williams, uh, you know, from Del Valle, another secondary member who, who's played pretty strong this year. Just some names out there. there there's a, there's a t- you could even pick different names from that Eastlake defense. Some of those yeah. guys are just monsters. Can't forget about Jeremiah Cooper, though. Three interceptions on the season. And I'm, I mean, somebody tweet at me if I'm wrong. I want to say all three. He's taken back to the house this year. Like, wow. I, I, know, I know the two against Austin. One got called back, I think, against Austin. Um, but, I mean, yeah, that kid, him. And then you look at Malcolm Anderson. He has four interceptions, too. And Malcolm Anderson's, uh, you know, that, that's a really good secondary there with those two. But, yeah, I can't forget about the four, the three, oh, I call him. He's a, he's a four-star recruit, man. I know he's a three-star by rivals, but Coop is a four-star. You gotta get, Coop's got, name's got to be thrown in there as well, too. Yeah, I you could take your also you could take your pick uh, from some of those Austin uh, defensive players that they yep. have. I, I mean, I, my favorite players, of course, Jaden Wilson, but I love what he does on the offensive side. But you could argue that you know he's just as valuable on defense. Uh, 12.6 tackles per game that he brings to the table. Uh, Austin suddenly four and three on the year, maybe in the conversation. Well, not even maybe they are in the conversation for a district title. We'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, there's some good names right there i still side with hector you know host he's he's the guy he's the guy at this at this spot yeah, two uh two defensive linemen though that i really do want to shout out though that would be damon espinosa from andres and then caleb Great emory man. from east like those two those two for sure got to be thrown into that conversation espinosa four sacks on the season and then caleb emory i mean they, they run that that odd front he's just a beast of a defensive end there and i really really like those two other gotta show the linemen some love man <laughs> Definitely. Let's talk some uh, offensive MVP. I'm going to go, I'm just going to go with some of the candidates here. Jose Guardado, running back Riverside. Of course, you got to throw him in the, in this conversation with offensive MVP, especially from what he did last week. Uh, Tavoris Jones. If Jefferson by the end of the season is in a district title race, you got to throw Nathan Alcala in that mix. Uh, Same with Jaden Wilson. You you definitely have to throw him. Of course, you're going to throw in uh, LJ Martin in this conversation. Uh, You look at, then you look at um, teams in 6A. Cameron Bird, he he probably is atop this list. You look at uh, Andrew Martinez from Eastwood. Of course, uh, Elijah Uribe, can't forget about him. He might be number one or two in this discussion. A lot of great names when you're looking at offensive MVP. Great names, but, you know, I've said this on air. I've said this on this podcast. 
this is a Cameron Bird household here. And even though I live in the Northeast, you know, he's, <laughs> Cameron Bird is, is that guy, man. I mean, I've watched him all year long. I've seen film of him. I've actually seen him since a sophomore. I know he, he's gone through adversity in his career. I think he had a, I want to say it was a shoulder injury. I may be wrong on that, but I know he had an injury early on in his career um, where he didn't, fully get that early on potential, but you're seeing it now. I mean, over 65% uh, completion percentage. And I've talked about this before where Franklin doesn't really dink and dunk it. You know, they throw the ball downfield. They'll throw a screen every once in a while. Um, but this is a team that really wants to throw the ball down the field. You know, they're not a team that's, that's, that's just going to screen you to death. And that's, what's really, really impressive to me when we look at Cameron bird, um, you know, as far as his progression, you know, he, like I said, you looking at his freshman year, he only threw eight passes um, last year with the COVID season, only played four. And now when I talked about Gael Ochoa getting that big body of work, we're seeing that with Cameron Bird. And, and when I talk about big body work, I'm talking about a college recruit. And that's what I look at him. I look at him as a guy that, that that's ready for that next level. FBS, I think he's an underrated FBS guy. You know, a lot of our players in El Paso can definitely go to the D2 or the lower levels and F, F, lower levels than FBS and be competitors. But I think this kid has what it takes, man, with the proper system, obviously going in in the right fit. But Cameron Bird to me, um, you know, I've been head over heels with this kid all year long. And I mean, there's, there's reason for it because of his performance. And of course, you know, the five game winning streak by Frank, and that kind of takes the cake for me too. But there are but tons of great names though that you brought up there though, man. Cameron Bird, man, he's just been, you know, outstanding. And he, there's a reason he's been at UTEP uh, for their local recruits yeah. two weeks in a row. And, and there's a reason why he's starting to be on everybody's radar. Last year, he didn't play. And he got in front of that right away. And I don't think, again, I'm with you, man. Last year doesn't count. I don't even want to hear a discussion yeah. about 2020 film. You, you look back to his sophomore year, you look at his progression since then and how dominant the Cougars have been pretty much since that Andrews game. And uh, on a five-game win streak, they look like the clear favorites to run away with 1-6-A. Um, and l like we've discussed about on this podcast before, could end up winning a by-district title when it's all said and done. I mean, Cameron Bird should definitely be on people's radars uh, moving forward, no doubt. I mean, the offense that he's generated, but not just that, the effectiveness on, on how they do it. The, uh, yeah. They're also very efficient. So, like, they, they very, can very put up efficient. drives when they need to actually score points. So, very impressed with what he's done. In, in that shootout against Eastwood, he was the better quarterback against uh, Andrew Martinez. And I thought Andrew Martinez was the clear guy. He's, he might be more dynamic than Cameron Bird. Uh, but I, I just think that Bird just has it all. He's the complete package for me. When, when we talk about overall MVP, it, is it Cameron Bird or is it Elijah Uribe? This is a tough one right here because Uribe has been outstanding. This eight touchdowns last week, Alex. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna bring one out of left field for you with those two. We're gonna give some love to the four A. I'm gonna go Angel Speedy Munoz as the Ooh. overall. I I, I throw a curveball at you on that one. Yes, a, you yes. know a thousand yard rushing at the quarterback position. He's got a thousand yard pass to right now. I get my first look at him this week. I'm, I'm happy to be covering this Riverside Mountain View game. I want to see, but I love watching Mountain View. The team that puts up a lot of points. Riverside. I mean, they put up sixty on pretty much everybody that they've blown out. This kid is special, and I, I really, really want to get the the eye test. You know, I finally get my eye test with Angel Speedy Munoz. I've seen his film. I've seen the numbers. Um, you know, 
that this kid's a sneaky dark horse candidate for that because of production of because in my opinion, I think this Riverside team can go two or three rounds deep in the four A playoffs. So that's that's really my case for Speedy Munoz as of course that thousand yard rushing from a quarterback. Also his running backs in a thousand yard rusher. He's thrown for a thousand yards and he has that ability to, to be a difference maker in a playoff game. Same thing like Cameron bird, same thing like Eli Uribe. Um, but you know, the four A's, you know, got to give them love. And I think Ajo Speedy Munoz is, is a dark horse MVP candidate. If we're talking about the city, they would talk about the, the El Paso times all city. I wouldn't be surprised if you may, if they make a run, you know, that Felix Chavez or somebody gives them some love because I mean, that kid's been balling since the sophomore year and uh, going back to last year, I think he even played a little bit as a freshman, if I'm not mistaken, um, but really taking it to another level this year as a junior. You're Framber Valdez right now. Cause you're throwing heat my way. I love it. I love it. Alex. <laughs> you're the man. Complete. What up Paul McKinnon? <laughs> <laughs> Coach of the year. This is a great one. Some nominees. Oh yeah. Some nominees. Darren Walker, as soon as he steps foot on the gridiron, this Franklin Cougars team is undefeated. Ruben Rodriguez has coached a great Eastlake team this year. Paul Melton, who's helped a young America's team quickly learn what it takes uh, to grow and have won three straight. You look in the, in the five A's, uh, you, you got to talk about Coach Scott Brooks. Kenya Tio, dominant as ever, won six in a row since that Eastlake game. And you can maybe even throw out that Eastlake game. Kenya Tio, anybody who's been on their level, they've completely dominated their point differentials out of this world, plus they're seven and one on the year. Looking a little deeper, her, uh, Paulo Melendez, a dark horse candidate possibly with Horizon and the way that they've, uh, they're, they're now in second place. They continue to win games that maybe we count them out of, or at least I do. Uh, you have to talk about Coach Rutledge out of Burgess. They're right now in a tie with uh, teams like Jefferson, teams like Andrus and Austin for that race for 2-5-A-2. I look at Coach Tony Martinez with the Jefferson Silver Foxes and think that's a great story. I don't want to uh, say how how great of a job Eric Pichardo has done, but you look at that. Well, I do want to say how great of a job he's done. You look at how many players they suit out. It's just not that many. They don't suit out a lot of kids at all. I, I think uh, I heard last week it was like 24-25. That's rough. And the way that the Panthers are still winning is beyond impressive. Uh, and you got to talk about Coach Gary Recoder, a definite um, candidate for Coach of the Year, as his Riverside Rangers are 7-1. and one. Alex, I'll turn it to you. What do you think, man? I think it's unanimous. I think Tony Martinez from Jeff is the coach Ooh. of the year. Shout out to La Jeff, oh my man. Gosh. I mean, first, first winning, uh, first most wins that they've had since 2007. Uh, you know, they're chasing that 2005 season under Coach Pete. You uh, said, what up, Coach Pete? Um, you know, a lot of respect for Coach Pete as well. So they won seven games in 2005. That was my senior year, actually, when I was at Andrews. They had a really good team that year. Um, but that – and that's why I, that, I do know that, that that was the last time Jefferson – that was the most wins Jefferson's had really since the 2000s. You got to go back to there. So that's a big possibility. We could see a 7-3 and three Jefferson team going into the playoffs. I mean, you know, you're looking at that last Andrews game, you know, that Andrews is a little bit susceptible right now because of injuries. Um, you know, we've been – we've been – we've had that game circle for a while ab we really have had that one circle yes, for a while we have. so yes, we have. you know that's what jefferson's playing for and you know just a, a quick story don't want to go too deep but you know the, the things that coaches on the south side have to deal with 
Austin, Jefferson, Bowie. Um, you know, those, that's a different, uh, different demographic of a, a kid. Some of those kids have to work to support their families. Um, some of those kids have different responsibilities than other kids around the city. So to get these kids locked into to handle business on the football field, handle business in the classroom, and handle business in their personal life. Those are the coaches that – that's what those coaches at those south side schools really deal with, um, stuff that doesn't make it into the newspaper, stuff that doesn't make it on football Friday night, um, you know, stuff that we don't normally talk about, the, those tough conversations with those, those kids that, that have – they're at-risk kids. Let's just be honest. You know what I mean? Coach Martinez is able to corral these kids – make them not just great football players, but better men going forward in their lives by already taking care of business, whether they're working a job to support their family, whether they're dealing with financial hardships at the age of 16 or 17. That's what I always got love for those coaches in the South side. And I think Tony Martinez is a unanimous coach because that, that, you know, your, your, your other schools where they don't have those demographics, you have other person personnel issues but there it's personal issues there that people have and to be able to get those kids to focus and lock in that to me is is means the world as far as the job that he's doing because you the proof is in the pudding as far as the lack of success at jeff so any success i think those south side schools get we as media members and as people that follow it, we got to celebrate it man and, and coach tony martinez hats off to you man i'll buy you an adult beverage if i ever see you at a bar because man any of those coaches in the south side deserve that and Coach Martinez, for sure, man. This year's been a special, special season. How could you argue against that? You, you laid it all out there. You gave the perfect <laughs> case. But, Alex, I'll tell you this. I'm not gonna, I would never argue against you based on what you just said, but I'll tell you, I asked a lot of people this question today, and no, only one person had Coach Martinez in this conversation. And I was, I was kind of shocked because yeah. I was like – and I think – Okay, so I heard Darren Walker today. That was one that I heard a lot. I heard, mm-hmm. uh, I heard Scott Brooks. I heard that one a lot. I heard uh, Coach Gary Recoder. That was, an, that was another one I heard a ton. So there are some interesting – and when it's all said and done, I'm curious to see where, where vo- uh, the vote goes. Or, you know, and we all have our own. We all, ha- we all have yeah. our own thoughts and stuff like that. But I'm just so curious to see where this one ends up. Yeah, no doubt. And especially, you know, you look at last year, they were outscored. I mean, again, we don't want to look too, we're not really looking at last year, but they're outscored 237 and 92 last year. Everybody had COVID issues. So, you know, that if you look at that based off, you know, just off of last year, which most coach of the year awards do, I look at it, you know, I'm going back to 2005, looking at dang, taking it back to tall tees and Jinko jeans, but I look at the whole thing. You know, I really look at the whole thing. And you're looking at last year, um, you know, whatever. Everybody had their COVID issues last year. But, you know, that's a big thing, too. They're 1-5 and five last year now. They're 5-2. and two. They're prime position not only for a playoff spot, but a potential, you know, three, four, five-way district title. So, yeah, Coach Martinez, my hat's off to you every year that you've been at Jefferson. Um, you know, and this year, that, that group, they've stayed together since their sophomore. So, like I mentioned, being able to keep a group together, you know, I don't know if that's when the last time that was done at a Southside school um, to have the success when they're seniors. I know Bowie did it a few years ago with Herman Carrasco was the quarterback. That group was, was, a, was a group that came up, you know, from freshman, sophomore, where they were in varsity. So great job by Coach Martinez. And yeah, I think, you know, all, all the other names you, and, and, you know, you talk about Coach Walker, you know, the adversity that he went through, um, you know, same thing with Coach Rodriguez at, at, uh, at Eastlake. He lost a lot of talent, you know, from last year comes in and doesn't miss a beat. That's well-deserving, but yeah, to me, um, you know, I, I look at it from an El Paso demographic standpoint, and Tony Martinez, my man. <laughs> 
Alex, one other. So I love doing these things to you because, uh, you know, we talk off air and stuff and, and usually I'll give you the rundown, but I promised myself I wouldn't tell you this one ahead of time. Uh-oh. And sometimes I Uh-oh. do this where I, where I think about things that I want to ask you and I throw it at you and I like your responses just on the fly. Here's one. Who is the most valuable running back of these three to their respective teams? Elijah Uribe, Tavoris Jones, or LJ Martin? Uribe. Um, what I saw really? last week, what I saw last week with the seven touchdowns, the 288 yards, I see a guy that that rallies his team around from a perspective of like, hey guys, I'm the leader. Let let follow me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think with him, it's and then not saying those other backs have that because obviously Tavares Jones led a big comeback last week uh, against Andrews and one of the biggest wins of his high school career. But looking at Elijah Uribe, the whole body of work, I mean, the kid can play quarterback. He's a leader. You know, he's a true leader in that huddle. You know, most of the time you talk about, okay, the quarterback's the leader. Eli Uribe is the leader of that team. And, and you know, he's a 4.0 student. Um, you know, he's involved in a lot of different programs there at East Lake. You know, he's the total package. And I think that is infectious for a team and a program. And I think when you, when you, when you worded it as far as most valuable player this year, I mean, LJ Martin's going to be the city's most valuable player next year. Let, you know, let's just keep that real. Yes, you know, but yes. I, 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 I think Eli Uribe, without Eli Uribe, and I, I sent you a, a joke text last week where I was like, Uribe's got seven touchdowns. The East Lake Falcon. He's the East Lake Falcon right now. He's the <laughs> alpha. He's the alpha on that team. And to me, if there's no Eli Uribe, I think, you know, we're not, we don't, you know, obviously not taking anything away from East Lake's defense, but, you know, they may not be the team at top of the standings that they are without Eli Uribe. Why is it not Tavoris Jones when when he is out like he was against Austin? They lose, but when he's playing his best game of his career, they're able to beat an Andrus team. So I, I hear I, I think my vote is Elijah Uribe too because I tried to do this exercise in my head and I was really trying to make a case for all three of them. I think I, I tend to lean with Elijah, but why isn't it Tavoris? Because when you take him out, I don't know what that team has. That's a good point. You know, that, that's a really, really good point. And, and, you know, looking at him early on in the season, I know there was some injuries. I know he was ill. Um, I think when we – last week, and, and like I said, I, I haven't seen Burgess in person. But that last week may have been the first week maybe this season um, where he's fully healthy. I think the Montwood game he was real healthy because he got a lot of touches in there. So I may be overstepping there. But – at least recently, I think that was probably the most healthiest Tavares has been. So, you know, you're correct. I, I really think, you know, that that he has a strong, strong case as well. Because, yeah, you take him away, um, you know, you're not even talking about the recruiting prowess and everything that he has, just his ability on the field um, on both sides of the ball. He's played a lot of defense this year, too. And, you know, but, you know, specifically talking about running back, yeah, that offense really doesn't click. Where does that offense really go without Tavares Jones? So that's a legitimate question. It's going to be real interesting you know, right now, I think, you know, Iribe's maybe a step, a step and a half, a step ahead. That that game last week against Andrews definitely brought Tavares Jones in the mix. So, you know, if Tavares finishes out with 200-yard games the rest of the way, you know, that he's going to have a very good case. We could even have a 1A, 1B situation here, man. Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I told you it was going to be a harder exercise there. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, Want to get to week nine? This is a this is kind of an off week. Let's just call it what it is. It's not your your. It doesn't have your sexy matchup, so to speak. But it starts off with a banger, and I don't know about these. What what it's uh, and I talked to JJ Calderon at, at 
out at the sack today. Uh, and I was asking them, what is it about these Thursday night sack games? They're just incredible. Tomorrow, yeah. there's, there's going to be a great one. It's America's taking on Pebble Hills, 6A matchup, which could decide the last playoff spot in this district. Alex, this, was, this could be the game of the week. It probably is. Yeah, it is. And we're going to see which team is, is ready to grow up now as far as competing for a playoff spot. You know, I think that's really what we're going to see is which team is going to rise to this occasion to be able to have that one up on the other. Um, you know, because if you're looking at the standings right now, you know, basically these two teams are tied for that, you know, third seed. And it, it, looking at it, I would think Franklin would be a number one seed out of the big school. Eastlake may be a small school. So you're talking about this is really what it, what, what it – what this game means to me is whether this either of these schools are going to be D1 or D2, depending on how the seeding turns out. So this is why this one's very, very important, because these teams are young. Um, now, what I also want to talk about is how good defensively both of these teams have been during district play. You're looking at America's, who's only allowed 49 points in district play. Um, Pebble Hill is only allowing just 68 points. So that, to me, is something that you don't really see in District 16A. It's a, you know, a big offensive league big time shootouts we saw it last week um you know this is going to be an interesting one because i think it's going to be a physical one both teams are going to have to grind it out turnovers obviously are going to be a key especially when you're talking about a young young teams going at it but you know really i think you can throw out all the stats throw out all the numbers this one is going to come down to the wire it's going to be um you know america's patient offense with their physical defense and then a budding explosive uh, Pebble Hills offense and a defense that honestly has been a little underrated. You know, they, they did well against, uh, I, I keep going back to that Permian game, a way that they were able to, to hold down Permian offensively. That's tough to stop a very physical, um, you know, they run that inverted fear type of tr uh, triple option look. So they're tough defensively. I think now into district play, you can confidently say that about Pebble Hills. So that's just a very, very interesting matchup on a lot of, a lot of levels. But to me, the seeding as far as which school goes D1, D2, I don't have the attendance numbers in front of me, but I think America's normally is a big school. Pebble Hills sometimes is a small school, but like I said, with so many uh, possibilities coming up over the next couple of weeks with playoff seedings, this is why it's important to get this one for either one of those teams, just to have the, the leg up on the higher seed going into the last two weeks of the season. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if Pebble wins, doesn't that virtually eliminate, if the chips all fall like we think they will, uh, for Eastwood to be eliminated from playoff contention? I believe Eastwood would have to lose to Coronado, I think, at this point, because they could still – no, I, you know, I think you're right, They would because they would have – America's at that point, Pebble Hills could only lose three times the last two games. So one of those teams – somebody's going to get eliminated. Obviously, it was Socorro lost. Um, if Franklin beats Coronado, I will double check with Paul McKinnon. We'll have it with, for you guys on Football Friday Night. But I believe Franklin can pitch a playoff spot at that point. And if the chips fall that way, Pebble Hills could possibly, depending on that Eastwood game as well, um, they could. They could clinch this week, I believe. So we've got to do a little bit more math on that. But yeah, that, that is a possibility. I guess I'm kind of looking at this more roadmap style because yeah. Pebble Hills beat Eastwood, right? So, like – Amer we still have that America's Eastwood game down the line, right? It, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, right. So if that's that could be the the game for that last spot if things fall the way that we think they could. Um, but still, it, it's it's kind of up in the air. I, I guess I, I guess I got it wrong actually. So if if America's um, beats Pebble Hills, that would kind of virtually 
eliminate East. I guess I'm kind of confusing myself. I'm looking at the standings right now, and I'm just like, yeah, I guess we got to kind of see how this this whole week. But, but if you're out. Eastwood, but if you're Eastwood, you want Pebble Hills to beat Americas because you have an opportunity to yeah. still play Americas, and you and America, you you're putting Americas in a spot where now Americas is in must win mode, and of course Eastwood's already there. So I'm looking at the standings of where I'm looking, and if you're Eastwood, you're rooting for Pebble Hills this weekend to be able to have a chance. I think it's next week or the week afterwards. Americas, um, no, I think Americas Montwood usually plays the last game of the season. I may be confusing myself on that too, but I know Eastwood and Americas still play, and that's still an opportunity for Eastwood, but or Eastwood, but they definitely need the, the Spartans to knock off the Trailblazers on Thursday. That's a, the start of, of the, what could be, a, I mean, it's a long shot, but it is, those are Eastwood's playoff chances still on the line. America's has a really tough stretch. Pebble Hills this week, Franklin next week, mm-hmm. Eastwood to close out the year. So, yeah, that'll, that'll be it right there. Gosh. Yeah, so, yeah, this is a very, very important game, especially for America's, like you mentioned. Now, now you get into the, the, the last two games where, you know, who's healthy? Obviously, we didn't know what happened with Cesar Drennan last week. We don't know if he's banged up. You know, who's healthy? Who's playing well at the end of the year? So you want to go into those last two weeks, especially where those last two weeks are going to mean so much, um, you know, so, so much on the line Thursday night. Um, you know, now, now that we're kind of prognosticating and looking ahead of the next after, what's, what's life look like for these two teams, whether they win or lose? So that's, that's a good look there as far as where, where you want to be if you're an America's Pebble Hills fan or even an Eastwood fan, kind of looking on that outside in at this moment yeah this is a huge game another big game uh which is happening friday first game of a double header out at the sack del Valle at el dorado i still think the conquistadors are going to be overpowering for anybody in this district uh, i don't really see why they should struggle against el dorado however if the aztecs come out and put up some points maybe we get a shootout here yeah, I was really, really surprised of that score, um, the, the, the El Dorado score where, where they had lost to Fort Stockton. I know Fort Stockton's a really good team. That was a very, very surprising score, though. I really thought that was going to be um, the, the turning point win for El Dorado, and, and they're still looking for that one. Um, but I'll tell you what, they have one of the city's best rushers um, in town that's, you know, we've, we've all know, we've all talked about him. Um, you know, Isaiah Rudison, he's been tremendous all year long. He's been consistent for them all year long. And, and I really, really want to see that Del Valle defense go up against it because we saw, you know, how they struggled against LJ Martin a, a few weeks ago. And that, you know, when you kind of comparing scores and comparing teams, you know, this guy's averaging almost just a tick under eight yards per carry. And that's, I think that's going to be now that we're going into district play, that's going to be Eldorado's identity. They're going to want to run the ball. They have two really good quarterbacks that are dynamic as well. So that's really going to test this Del Valle team. And, you know, I would favor Del Valle maybe by 10 points, but it would not surprise me to see Eldorado control the ball with Rudison, um, you know, have Quincy Estrada and, and Ricardo Portillo in there to kind of change the pace a little bit. Quincy's more of the of the runner. Uh, Portillo's more of the thrower. So that, that that game plan to me offensively with Coach Macias and that offensive uh, that offensive attack for El Dorado, that's going to be real key to give Del Valle fits because we know what we're getting from Del Valle. Jesse Ramos has been the most consistent quarterback, um, not named Cameron Bird, uh, you know, this year. So, you know, they're going to be explosive. They're going to put up to get their yards. So very, very interesting matchups in terms of style. Does El Dorado try to slow the game down? 
You know, Del Valle wants to play a little faster. Um, you know, they, they want to spread you out a little bit more. They like moving the ball around. They like Ramos running out of the pocket. So very, very interesting matchup there that, you know, could, you know, think about it. That's the winner of that one has definitely, it's a, it's a district title eliminator game. I mean, you're looking at it here. Chapin's a district title contender. El Dorado's kind of the outside in on that, but this is El Dorado's chance to really shake things up early. And I think Del Valle is going to be hungry coming up that loss to that Cali team. Say, sticking with the uh, district, let's go to Chapin Bel Air. Um, if the Huskies want to prove that they are legit in this uh, district, which I think they are, they I, I, I they should pretty much handle Bel Air in this one. And, and you know, there's there's a name that we kind of left out for Coach of the Year. What Ryan Warner's done with Very Chapin, true. you know, got, got to give him some love there. You know, former Chapin Husky himself, another uh, Coach Walker disciple. We talked about that on the pod a couple weeks ago as well. Um, but you're right. To me, this is sort of like a, a a statement game in a sense. I would think Chapin is a pretty heavy favorite against Bel Air. I would put them maybe a touchdown or two. I would go like 12 and a half, 13 point favorite Chapin in this one, just because. You know, Bel Air can put up points. I mean, that over-under might be a little high. Uh, but, you know, either way, I think Chapin's played well enough. And to me, I, when I look at late in the year, and, you know, late in the year transitioning the playoff quarterback play, and, of course, Mason Standard for, um, you know, a- another one of those names maybe we left out to, for uh, City MVP, you know what I mean, as far as his numbers and the wins that he's been able to get. I mean, they're on a four-game win streak. So that's another interesting matchup. If Chapin can continue to roll, well, then that's kind of proving that they can truly – challenge Del Valle here in a couple weeks for that DC. Let's ping to your game. Riverside Mountain View. Excellent one for a matchup. Uh, I'm thrilled to see if the Riverside Rangers can continue their hot streak and take it to a Mountain View team that is is pretty good. I mean, this is going to be a tough test for the Rangers. Uh, I still think they can win and maybe even win, uh, you know, favorably. Yeah, you know, Mountain View can put up points. I think the big key in this one is going to be turnovers. And I think you can always say that um, in high school football, but more so in this game, because I think there's going to be a lot of points. My stat sheet is going to be jumping, bro, for sure, for sure. I mean, there's going to be a lot of yards, oh, yeah. there's going to be a lot of points. So possessions are golden in this game. I mean, super, super golden. And, you know, you're looking at, at a, at a, at a Mountain View team that's very, very young. I mean, their two leading rushers are as a sophomore and a junior. So, you know, talking with Coach Recorder, he likes his team, uh, but he knows they got to put them – They know he knows they got to put up points. You know, that's going to be a key. That That's a game where uh, Mountain View has to win a shootout in that game because we all know how good that Riverside offense is, and it's hard to stop them. And, you know, looking back at, at, at really – last week of what Mountain View uh, was unable to do was slow down Clint. Um, you know, Clint put up 53 points on them. Riverside's probably licking their chops down there off of, uh, on, on, off of Midway thinking that they could probably do the same. So to me, you know, valuing possessions, if you're either team, you know, with Riverside, Mountain View can score too. So you don't want to give up possessions in that game. And that's, that's what I look at, field position and possessions in this game. If, if Mountain View can – win that advantage they're going to be in the game of the fourth quarter if they're minus two minus three in the turnover margin Riverside's going to run them out of their own stadium so that that's it's just a very very interesting matchup because as well as Mountain View can put up points they can also muck up the game as well you know they can slow the game down they could run that play clock down to 10 you know and go on a four or five minute drive and possibly score and keep that Riverside offense off the field so that one is going to be a very interesting game because you know there is upset potential for Mountain View to shake up that 1-4-A district title race, which we all know, um, you know, it's going to come down to Riverside and Clint. But, 
if River, if uh, you know, if Riverside has any say to it, you know, they're just they want to continue to keep rolling. Seven thirty kickoff out at the sack is East Lake Montwood. Do we worry at all about the Falcons having any trouble with the Rams? Uh, Montwood's reeling right now. It's it's unfortunate for this team. I think injuries are piling up for them. Uh, you know, in in an unfortunate way, uh, playoffs look out of the picture for this team. Just the way things are shaking up. That loss last week against Americas was very significant for them. It's a tough time right now for Montwood. Yeah, there's certain coaches I hate picking against, and Coach Fama is one of them. But, you know, you said it right. My reason is they're banged up going to this game. We talked about the Claudio injury. Um, there was talk that Yamil Oaxaca, who was in – I don't believe he was on the last series of that last uh, – the last drive oh, of their man. last game. So that's something to keep an eye out for. So, yeah, they're a little banged up. Eastlake's coming off of high. You know, they lost to Franklin again. They probably feel they shouldn't have lost the way they did. And that was a resounding win coming back and, and drubbing Eastwood last week. Um, that game really wasn't close, by the way. I know the score is a little high, but that, to me, Eastlake East was in control that whole game. So I think the confidence that Eastlake has bouncing back after that Franklin loss, I think that's what should put – which that should really worry Motwood because you're getting a determined team that's not going to let, you know, a, a quote-unquote trap game because, yes, Motwood's been struggling. You have Motwood's beat up. Um, you know, these coaches and players know who's in. You know, everybody – at the end of the, each game, I've seen Motwood play everybody. He's yelling at, uh, where's Yamo? Where's Yamo? We're talking about Yamil. So they know who's in and out. And I think, you know, that's going to that's gonna add a little bit more confidence to Eastlake. So if you're Montwood and you're Coach Fama, um, this is your Super Bowl this week. You know, this is your Super Bowl each week. It's difficult your last three weeks, um, you know, being one in three in district. But, you know, with Coach Fama on the way that he coaches with his back against the Y, wouldn't count Montwood out. But because of the injuries, because of, of what we're hearing as far as who's in, who's out, who's really banged up, you know, I think this is a game where it wouldn't surprise me to see Eastlake win by a few touchdowns. Let's talk a little bit about some games that aren't necessarily must watch, but they're, they're on the same lines as what you just talked about in terms of trap games. So I'm going to group these three games together and we'll close out the podcast like this uh battle of the south side jefferson Bowie should be a good uh, a good win for jefferson although you could throw this in the trap game conversation same yeah. with irvin andrus um andrus you know they dropped that game against burgess wonder if they're hung over if they want to bounce back in a resilient fashion another trap game potentially battle the claw el paso austin um you know the tigers they've had a good season what better uh way to continue this season than to upset you know their rivals in austin although the panthers have been great lately potential three trap games here yeah that austin el paso game stands out for me because i want to see how real el paso high is um you know they've allowed some points this year defense in district play while Austin has been just phenomenal, phenomenal, I messed up that word. You guys know what I'm trying to say. They've been amazing defensively at the Austin Panthers, and I think that's going to be a, a, one of those trap game matchups as far as, you know, El Paso High's motivation. You know, Coach, uh, you know, their new head coach over there, Ray Aguilar, they got a chance to make the playoffs this year, and that always – peps the step during the week you you walk a little higher you practice a little harder um your jersey's a little bit more orange on game day you know what i mean so that little bit of confidence that i'm seeing from el paso high 
you know, that could lead to a trap game from an Austin team that's playing well. Um, touching a little bit on Anders Urban. Anders is a little beat up, you know. Um, you know, you're talking about Jeremiah Cooper. He had a, a head injury. Do, you know, we don't know if he's going to be 100% healthy. We saw, you know, how that affected them going back to, you know, last week's game. You know, so that those are, real, those are the two, you know, that really, really stand out to me as far as games where, yeah, you can see somebody get caught slipping there just because of the fact that there's injuries this time of the year. Um, but really that El Paso high Austin game, that's the one that, that really, really piques my interest to see um, how real El Paso is. Are they going to factor into this playoff race the last two games or, you know, or was it a nice run and now it's time for El Paso high to kind of rebuild um, and re get and rebuild for next year? Because we know that's a young team that's going to come back home next year, but will they grow up? You know, that's going to be a big question this week too. So that, that's a game that really, really I have my eye on. A lot of great games this week, uh, but not your headline games like we are used to where you have this, you know, the nail-biter game or the game that you're looking forward pretty much all year long to. It, it's a good week. It, it's a week where we'll find out more about playoffs and, and, and you know, different things like that. Uh, just wanna a, close... I want to throw one interesting game, though, one interesting game that we Go can talk it. about. Yesleta Horizon. That's another. Oh, good! How did I miss this me. one? Great game. That, that's another sneaky game. That I mean, I really feel like Horizon is playing at a different level right now. But Yasleta has been so Jekyll and Hyde. It wouldn't surprise me to see that game twenty-eight twenty-eight at the half. You know what I mean? And and what it means as far as district standings for both teams going into that game. So that's another game to really really keep your eye on. Um, Horizon one and zero in district. Yasleta one and one in district. So you know playoff seeding. You know you don't want to play Andrus you don't want to play Burgess you know those are the teams you want to avoid um you know in the by district round and th that's probably the message um in both coaches talks this week with their team is about how important this one is for seeding so that's another sneaky game I, I, I actually passed up on that game to watch Riverside Mountain View so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that one turns into a crazy one let me give you some stat lines real quick Ernie Garcia 115 carries seven games played 1,118 rushing yards, 159 rushing yards per game, 13 rushing touchdowns. Wow. I, I love that for the Horizon Football uh, senior running back. Gosh, uh, you're, you're right. That's, this is going to be a great game right here. Some, some games you're going to get a big one from Ysleta, and who knows, it might be this week. It, it might be this week where we see that one ending up being the, the potential game of the week uh, just in terms of a competitive standpoint. But, you know, as we turn the corner and look to just, uh, just some of the other storylines real quick, Alex, just want to touch on uh, our great friends at the Greater El Paso Football Showcase, 915 Show showcase uh ed stansbury rick hernandez they uh announced today in a press conference that they'll be moving uh the annual game to the sack it'll be taking a uh, place on saturday december 18th uh really happy for this this uh you know this organization uh, they also announced today that uh pebble hills head coach mark torres will be replacing jj calderon he'll be the new head coach of the east team which is the red storm and then um of course with uh kenya T.O. football head coach Scott Brooks. He'll be taking over the West team Blue Thunder for his dad, Don Brooks, who passed away earlier this year. Um, and, uh, you know, very fitting for Coach uh, Brooks to take over for his dad, who is such a legend here in the Sun City. Yeah, and I think this may – somebody got a tweet at me if I'm wrong on this one, but this may be the first time two active head coaches – 
participate as head coaches in that game. I know every year um, the head coaches from around town and some of the assistants will fill in as assistant coaches, um, you know, very selfless of these guys to come out there and be with their kids one, t- one last time. But that's a, that's a real interesting wrinkle as well. Uh, fun wrinkle. I hope that they get a, a packed crowd at that sack, man. I really hope that that's a, that's a sellout crowd, obviously. An intimate, uh, an intimate venue where you, you know you can get twelve thousand or however many it fits in there, and, and that's a good atmosphere for the kids to be able to experience that. So you know, Ed and, and Coach Hernandez, Coach Rick Hernandez, they do a great job. Jason Flores over there. Um, can't forget the guy's name that, that I forget the guy's name that Vasquez. runs the. Uh, there you go. Joseph he runs the, Yeah, and I, I didn't he, even I shout be- out J Flo. That's that's yeah. messed up. I believe he uh, Vasquez runs the combine, I believe, out there. And uh, so, you know, really good organization. I do behind the work scenes for them as well um, in, in coordination with the All-Star game. So it's always an exciting time. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of bittersweet, I guess. You know, you guys have heard us here. You know, we talk about kids like Cameron Bird and uh, the way we rant and rave and fanboy over them. Well, that's the last time we get to see them. That's how I always look at it. It's always kind of bittersweet because – we follow these kids. We saw them when they debuted, whether it was sophomore or junior. Some of them, even their senior year, um, you know, they get that prestigious honor, which everybody wants to play. I mean, you look at old players, um, you know, you go look at their, their social media pages and they still have pictures when they were in the All-Star game. It could have been 10 years ago, but it's a special, special brotherhood to be in that All-Star game. Um, you know, and it means a lot to these kids, you know, believe it or not, obviously it means a lot to the parents, but, um, you know, it is a prestigious honor to be in that. So glad to see, uh, glad to see them land on the feet there the sack it should be a great great atmosphere there and man i hope it's packed alex any uh any uh memories fun memories of the 915 showcase that you want to highlight like it just as watching it as a media member anything that you've seen past couple years that you'd like to talk about you know, I think the the way that the quarterbacks, you know, we always talk about how good quarterbacks are and to see them kind of grouped and to see, uh, you know, I know there was one year where it was like Andrew Fernandez throwing to the star receiver from Andres or um, – you know, same thing. Like, you know, you see Cameron Bird throwing a, a touchdown pass to Elijah Uribe this year. You know, that's what's always special to me is to see these kids that compete against each other, uh, you know, go out there and ball. And, and it really shows the talent that El Paso has. Obviously, you know, we could get into another situation of the talent being spread out and on and on, go on and on about that. But that's what, that's always my great memories is seeing some of these great players, you know, Sidarius Barfield a couple years ago, seeing the, the, the I think it was him. I might be mistaken. There's a guy, someone got to correct me, but I think it was Andrew Fernandez and said Barfield on the same team I want to say I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go double check that but those type of matchups like that where we just see kind of super teams or you know you and you and I Adrian we're big fans you know we talked about who we put on our fantasy team well all these guys you know these are all these guys that we cover um you know and that's what's special to me is just to see these guys go out one last time as brothers and really represent the city um you know before they go on so whether they play college ball or just their adult destinations in life so that's always special to me and uh you know it's always special to, to see these kids ball out in those games too. You know, one of the, 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 one of the ones that stands out to me though, I want to say it was 2017. There was a kid from Bel Air. His first name is going to, uh, uh, it's going to just blow my, I can't think of it, but I know his last name was Sanchez. He had three sacks, a pick six, uh, th- a three sacks and two interceptions. And one of them was a pick six. That guy was a defensive end in that game. So my, that was one of my fondest memories of seeing that Sanchez kid from Bel Air ball out. I was on the sidelines in that game. Um, and I even went over there and gave that kid that because that was a heck of a game by that kid. I'll never, I'll never forget that. Three sacks, two interceptions from a D lineman and one he took back from a pick six. And I, honestly, somebody, again, correct me, I want to say he also returned a kick in that game that was a pretty long return. He maybe either scored or he 
put it in the, into uh, plus territory. I'm getting old, so my memory isn't as sharp, but I do remember 32 in red that day balling out. You know, I just got to I, – I can't – I'll be honest with you, man. We do some of these games. They're draining. They're, they're long, and we kind of forget about them. It's just – it's kind of like a quick – flip of, of the chapter as soon as the season's over you're getting ready for the next season and sometimes you don't we, we should mem- like remember some of these games a little bit more than we we do but I feel the same way like where I'm trying to pinpoint specific memories of this game and just like the players like it's it's tough Zubiate Matt Zubiate yeah. I kind of remember a really cool stretch where <laughs> this sounds so random but <laughs> where he's just balling out for his team I, that that's like the only only memory I've got um I want to say Tyrus Andrews correct me if I'm wrong Montwood receiver I'm getting mm-hmm. that wrong I'm getting that no wrong. no you know you're no Ty, you're, right, you're right too yeah you know he did he had a big game in there I I'm, I'm it's hurting me that Eastwood kid now I'm going back and looking through Eastwood's old or excuse me Bel Air's old roster to find that such as his kid <laughs> name to get his first name because you're right there there are those you know, we see so many games a year, you know, like this week, you know, I'm going to watch two games, you know, every week, you know, we see a few. So we see numbers and players and stuff like that. But, you know, those are the special players and the special performances that really, really stand out to us looking forward. And Marco Sanchez, I got it. I found Yay. it. Bro. Shout yes. out Marco yes. Sanchez. Marco Sanchez from Bel Air. That's definitely my biggest recent memory of Marco Sanchez falling out in the All-Star game. So, yeah, those names that we come out, I mean, you know, that we, we talk about it. Um, you know, at Union Draft House every Friday night, we talk about the old greats, and you know that 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 All Star game. That's always the pinnacle, and you know why we remember some of them for sure. Okay, I'm gonna throw out a couple names. I, I've got I, I passed by a couple good ones. Bo Bo Brooks. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Let's see Hector Estrada. I remember him. Let's see. Oh, I'll, I'll give a name that we haven't talked about in a while. Hatib Lyles. Yep, North Texas. Of course. You're going to see him play soon, hopefully. Um, we got, let's see. I've got some good ones here. All right. Marcos Hernandez, Nick Bingham. Bingham, that's, that's an old name. Oh, now, now you're making me feel old, A.B. No, he's, he, was a graduated, he graduated with me. We graduated together. <laughs> that makes me feel old now. Now, yeah. shout out Nick. Uh, went to Colorado Pueblo. Uh, he he's doing his right. he's doing his own thing now. Um, he's he's weightlifting, bodybuilding. So good for him. Let me throw out some other ones. Uh, Jose Cruz, Chris Vias. Am I am I getting anywhere there? Cruz, on what position did he play? I'm thinking Boo. It's Bowie. I just don't know the position. Oh, is that I know it, the name. Cruz sounds name. familiar. Cruz does sound familiar for sure. Okay, one more. Raymond Montes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that kid, that kid had a heck of a career, man. Really liked him. Hey, Alex, appreciate it as always, man. We ran a little late on this one, but I think it was deservingly so. Uh, we didn't get a chance to catch up last week, but we'll get a chance to catch up next week. Big week 10 ahead. I, I can't wait for that one. Uh, best of luck with the coverage this week at, at Riverside uh, Mountain View. So excited for that game. Where are you at? Where are you at this week? Oh, I got Canatillo Hanks, man. I get to see uh, LJ right. Martin again, and I get to see Estrada again. So I'm excited about those two. Um, I, I bet you I, I'm calling it 55 nothing. Yeah, that, that's a bet. Over under 150 yards for LJ Martin? I'll take the over, and I'll take the under as far as three and a half quarters played. Yeah, that sounds about right. 
All right, Alex. I appreciate all the time, man. Thanks as always. No problem. See you all on Friday.